in Kansas and Texas, there's a city called Wichita. The rent, like medium rent for one bedroom is $690. I guess it's affordable. Everyone got that? Kansas is the, we're all meeting in Kansas. I'll see you there. And I would say, hey, I'll just pay for the whole year if you give me a month off. And oh. they would just be like, yes. Okay. And so uh, here, here's your money. Yeah. Boom. So if you can pay a few months upfront and your property manager or owner might be willing to offer you like a monthly discount. If you can, agree to committing to a longer lease. If you don't have a pet in place that allows pets, point that out. Because... Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason, and today with me is Bebe. Hello. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Great. Wow, well, I thought we were talking about the American dream. Oh! Recent, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> recent, well, I also want to talk about the Chinese dream. So uh, recent U.S. news on the slowing increase in the cost of renting would have many believing us we can all breathe easy. But that's not only part of the story. Rent is growing faster than incomes around the country in the U.S., according to Axios.com, with, quote, the median renter in the U.S. would need to spend 29.6% of their monthly income on an average rent in the first quarter of 2023. New research at Harvard also puts this into context, saying that the cost of renting is higher now than in more than a decade. What do you think, baby? Mm. Well, I was just thinking, when was the last time you heard people complaining about housing price or rent in the U.S.? Everyone I talk to, every time I talk to them. Oh, so it's not like a new thing, but it's just gotten worse. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're trying to put it in a historical. Yeah. When when I was, uh, I don't know, uh, before the 2008 crisis, I think this was a problem. I used to rent. Mm. I used to move around. I even lived in San Francisco as a renter for quite a long time. And, you know, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Everything was fine. I didn't. I, I mean, it was it was tight. You know, it wasn't sometimes. a thing. Right? It wasn't really that big of a deal. You wanted to rent an apartment in Modesto or San Francisco or Berkeley. You just did. You know, you could afford it. You could work a 40 hour work week mm-hmm. on, at, at like in a service job and afford to pay your rent and still enjoy life. Yeah. But a, after, I don't know, two. 2010, that was not the case anymore. Yeah, because for (laughs) all the years that I spent in the U.S., like rent wasn't really a topic of discussion. Not like, you know, the past decade in China when people talk about housing price all the time. It's like one Mm. of people's main complaints, um, Mm. you know, for the past 10, 15 years. Uh, But Mm. the only complaint I remember was back in New York, you know, but that's like New York City, right? I remember paying over 1000 for a tiny room um on 72nd street i mean it was a nice it, it was like a decent area it wasn't really a particularly nice apartment i shared with um a college uh, classmate and she worked in investment banking so she had more money so she had the mm-hmm. the slightly bigger room and mm-hmm. i think she paid over $2000 for that yeah. and she barely 
lived there. That's the yeah. thing. She spent like right. five hours there. <laughs> Maybe. Well, can I ask you a couple questions? Firstly, what year was that? Uh, like 10, 15 years ago. Okay. So uh, what do you think if you had to guess, just guessing, you know, mm. we don't know. Uh, what do you think that same room would go for today? I have no idea. I guess it's higher probably now. a lot. Yeah. So that yeah. two room apartment and it was not big. Okay. Um, cost like 3,500 or more, mm. uh, at least 10 years ago. I don't remember exactly what year. Um, it's probably higher now. So that was New York city. Um, that's like, you know, Shanghai in China and it's common for people to complain about rent. But so this thing about rent for me is a new thing. You know, in mm. the people are complaining about that in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit more about the general situation? Is it well, like I mean, widespread I, or just like main cities? And I think United? most Americans know, so I'm not going to tell them anything they don't know. But let me just tell you a story about my mom's house a little bit. Oh, sure. So when my my mom and dad bought their house in uh, 2005, they bought their huge home, four bedroom, three bath home on a quarter acre for eighty thousand dollars. And by the peak of the housing before the bubble burst in 2007 or so their home was worth 350,000 so it increased in like a space of less than 5 years to like four times its value and then after 2008 it would return to its former value but now today it's worth about half a million dollars wow so um wait 80,000 dollars 80,000 80,000 80, are yeah. you are you serious yeah, I'm serious. Where do they they live in California, right? <laughs> they live in California in a small town called Oakdale, California. And the house needed quite a bit of renovations, which my father was a construction ah. um, a general manager. So he he moved into this home and began rebuilding it. But it wasn't his, you know, repairs that increased the value, it was all the homes in the neighborhood suddenly were three right. or four times their value in a very short period of time, which I was looking around, not an economist, mm -hmm. no idea about economics saying. This is not going to last. This is a bubble. And, you know, I was this ignorant college student who didn't know anything about how the economy worked, but I could tell this isn't normal. So how, did, and, you know, how much did you pay for rent when you lived in where was it? San Francisco? Uh, in San Francisco, I played different kinds of rents at different times. I think I was I was renting a a, a one room and a three bedroom home mm -hmm. for a while for several years. I don't know, six years or something. And this is the longest pl the place I lived in the longest. Mm -hmm. And there was a a woman who with a business degree who took over one floor and then rented out the other two floors. I see. And so we were paying the entirety of her mortgage, which was, I guess, about oh. twenty four hundred or so, because each one of the other four bedrooms, which she rented out, which were enormous, mm -hmm. we rented, we paid $600. That's decent. So living in San Francisco in a giant room with a view of the beach for $600, that's what it was like nice. 20 years ago. That's yeah, not that was, bad. That was amazing. I, was I wouldn't complain about that, but maybe things are different. Oh, gosh. that I, If I tried to move into that room today, just that room would be like 2500 No Absolutely. way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Four times oh, yeah. that much? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, isn't yeah. there a Everything, thing so, called rent control? Like there are limits uh, on how much they can 
Why does it in not practice? Work? Rent control only affects people who uh, live in some cities and states, and it only affects uh, people under some circumstances who have uh, been renting in the same apartment mm-hmm. without moving for many years. Okay. So no. Uh, anyways, help much, I, I guess. Actually, I, I left. I, you know, this is interesting. I left in 2010 to go to Korea. I came back to San Francisco for uh, about a year, mm-hmm. and when I moved back, the prices had already increased uh, dramatically, and I moved to a different place. Place in Sunset District on the west side of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I was paying $1,200 for a room half the size Aww. of the room that I previously was renting out. <laughs> Twice the price by half the area. Exactly. Yeah. And that was just, two, that was uh, 13 years ago. So the prices now are just astronomical. Mm. And, you know, houses, you know, median home in the United States is like $550,000 today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're in another kind of bubble, mm. you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not an economist, but I'm looking around at the U.S. market and it, I, it feels the same way that it felt before. You know, when um, thinking at researching for this, I thought of um, the public housing in Beijing, because um, mm-hmm. you know that for for years, actually over a decade, people were complaining about how expensive um, housing uh, has been mm-hmm. um, and Chinese people are less used to the idea of renting. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, we all want to just own our own place, right? Um, but mm-hmm. I think that mentality is even uh, deeper, like rooted in Chinese people's mind. But mm-hmm. I mean, like the younger generation are accepting the reality now, you know, living in a city mm-hmm. like Beijing. You just yeah. don't hope to just, you know, buy a house after you start working. Um, mm-hmm. So I did hear about co-workers back when I was working there who rented these public housing. Mm-hmm. And they are so much cheaper than average um, rent out there. Have you heard about this? It's In Chinese, it's called fang, which means like public rental houses or like apartments. I haven't heard of that. I have heard of a few new policies I'd like to talk about later, but I'd be thrilled if you taught us about this. Um, so the little bit of research that I did, um, like Beijing is more expensive than most other places in China. Um, mm. So the the public, uh, for the public apartments, um, a average out to be about 30 yuan per square meter per month. So that's probably the you know, highest. I think that when um, we when we talk in this framework about the amount of meters and things, most Americans hard. have no idea what no we're idea. Talk. We oh. have to talk about, you know, is it a big, small, or medium sized apartment? How much does the total apartment cost? Okay, so for like one tiny studio, and the for public housing, you pay about two thousand mm. uh, RMB. Um, which is much lower, probably at least half mm. the price of um, like if you go on the private market. And then I found this uh, another city or area in Qingdao. You know Qingdao, yeah, right? Yeah, Qingdao is a lovely city. So this city. beautiful yeah. city, I know, by the by the sea. And they have a, a mountain there called Laoshan, which is a, you know, a, a beautiful scenic area. Mm-hmm. The, the prices there, it's ridiculous for their public housing. It's like 0.75 RMB. It's like literally, what is it? 10 cents per square meter per month. <laughs> what? What? How, how, okay, how is so this possible? This lady, she. This is a cardboard box. <laughs> no, this lady, she just moved in to one of these public rental uh, houses, apartments. And mm-hmm. she said there's like supermarkets around here, there's a school, um, and there's simple furnishing. For the apartment, you mm-hmm. can just, uh, you know, take your luggage and move in. And she pays <laughs> like 24 RMB per month. <laughs> I'm, what? 
You have to be poor. I'm moving there. Yeah. Well, how do you get that? Do you have to be poor? You have to have to show your income? Oh, so you have to prove that your income is below a threshold. Yeah, you have to like have really low income. Who built and runs this? This is government? Yeah, this pu- oh, government, government public ha- housing. Say public. Well, that's amazing. Isn't that like- Can how we go? I, I think we should research <laughs> this more. Americans would be drooling over this idea. But you have to have like low income, like serious low income. I know, but there are a lot of Americans who would benefit from this. And there are a lot of Americans who could prove they have no income or very <laughs> low true. income. Yeah, this is something we should be adopting in my country. Could you Tell us more about so it. This, for this particular one, um, the smallest would only be like 32 square meters. So that's like, mm-hmm. you know, one man studio. Have you seen those like tiny studios in like Tokyo? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, it's in, I mean, it's enough, right? Yeah, it has sure. a bathroom. Yeah, Hong Kong too, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Hong Kong, like these ridiculously small, but this is decent. I've lived in a part in an apartment that's about 30 square meters. Like it's sufficient. Okay. Um, it, it costs 24 RMB, which is what, like $5. Less than five dollars. So a month. the government literally just built the building and then like. I think it has been be- a a project because the government knows that a lot of younger people, right, or people like families with low income, they just can't not afford. Yeah. Um, that's to, amazing to buy housing, and also you know how I you, you have no idea how much I love this. You have to send after the show. Please send me. It's the in link. Chinese though, so I'll translate it. I'll do whatever the, it takes. Uh, the average uh, household income for this particular region in Qingdao, they make less than eight hundred RMB per month. So that's they make mm-hmm. less than a uh, hundred and twenty yeah, median. They're, Lower than median. Yeah, income. so you can yeah, imagine how much lower. they can afford to pay. But so housing is basically yeah. free uh, for these families. Practically, yeah. yeah. Um, and but housing, public housing, has been uh, a project for you know the Chinese government because um, you just need a place to live. For example, my uh, Ai, which my nanny, she comes for a few hours a day. She used to rent a place, um, like in a village close to where I live, for like five hundred mm-hmm. RMB a month. So that's less than a hundred dollars a month, uh, but yeah. that village has been cleared, I think, because mm-hmm. it's just too old and they're like fire hazards. People charging their mm-hmm. motorbikes and you know things like outside, and it can actually lead to fires. So she mm-hmm. moved into like uh, another apartment, and this one she said, "Oh, it's so expensive, like twice as, as expensive, a thousand, a thousand. about a thousand. <laughs> so what's that like a hundred and fifty yeah, bucks? And that's a like month. an apartment." Uh, but it's I live in yeah. like peripheral Beijing, so it's much cheaper um, than yeah. in the city. Well, I lived in peripheral Beijing on the south side like you do now. And I was looking at how much apartments were being sold in 2019 because mm. I was living there and they were selling them for about a million RMB, which is like, I don't know, 150,000 US dollars. Okay. But we're talking about a two story apartment kind of loft with a great view mm-hmm. and you in know, Beijing. And, and brand new with a chandelier in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six ring south near the subway where you could just go into Beijing on line four. So like, you know, it's it is affordable. I mean, OK, it's not affordable to live in downtown Beijing mm-hmm. unless, you know, you've already been here from 10 years ago when the when it was still kind of affordable. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the like you say, peripheral areas, it is, you know, it's manageable. Yeah, so maybe for a lot of uh, people, especially younger people, we need to do we need to adjust our mentality and just psychologically get ready for a harder time for a harder period of time. You're listening to The Bridge. May I tell a story? Yes, please. 
I love stories. So in 2021, I think it was, my wife and I, Summer and I, uh, we moved to uh, Wuhan, Mm -hmm. like we've talked about many times. And we were paying 7,000 RMB or basically $1,000 a month for this place and really downtown, right, you know, right by Shidan. It, oh, this okay. was a box. It was like a bedroom with, there had a bathroom attached to it. It was so <laughs> tiny, but we were like actually in, you know, real Beijing, old the Beijing, Beijing. Yeah, hard, hard uh, of Beijing. And then we nice. were like, okay, we can't live in the, a box, right? You know, maybe we should move to Wuhan, you know? So we decided mm-hmm. to move there because the, I, I got a job out there and I moved. We paid 2,200, I think it was. And we had a three bedroom, two bath wow. mansion style apartment with balconies on both sides. And we were just <laughs> like, like, we could not difference. believe it. You know, we were in a wonderful neighborhood mm-hmm. and a wonderful community that was well kept swimming pools and playground areas for the kids and everything was just spectacular. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when you, you, when you say we need to adjust our expectations, I think this is also people living in, what is it? Shenzhen, Beijing, Shanghai, right? Shanghai. Maybe Mm -hmm. Hong Kong too, right? These cities are really expensive, but if you just move to any other city in China, basically, it's a lot mm. more affordable. Both you and I and also our listeners are, are getting the idea that times are different now in many ways, right? Geopolitical and the economy and lifestyle uh, with technology changes and everything. So it's a lot to take in, but it's about time for us to make some adjustment mm. of our expectations. Mm-hmm, sure. yeah. And um, I think people who have been living in the U.S. for decades probably don't realize how stable prices had mm. been. You know, until about two years uh, ago, um, how prices stable it happened uh, in the U.S. And it's just a different time now. And I think we the changes start with um, internally making the adjustment and get ready. And also I was thinking how um, maybe uh, people should watch more videos from other countries. <laughs> Consider um, moving to th- Mexico. <laughs> not just for more choices, but making this psychological adjustment, um, especially for people who have only lived in the U.S. and, you know, who've lived through decades of affluence and kind of took things for granted. Because I follow some bloggers uh, on their travels to, you know, Pakistan, to uh, Syria, and to other countries with, you know, some had trouble with uh, with wars, others had, um, you know, slow economic growth, and lives are different over there. And for people who've only lived in the States, who've only seen how things are in the States, it it takes, it's shocking. Um, But that's how a lot of humans live, probably you know, more than a higher percentage can you than you can imagine. Yeah. Um, I think that will help us to make that psychological adjustment. I agree. Um, you know, I was yeah. I was being interviewed for a show last night and I was one of the other interviewees uh, was a uh, reporter who, you know, is from Chile, the country of Chile in South America. Mm. And we were talking about APEC and I was my concerns were can China and the United States get along well? This is important to me. And then she pointed mm-hmm. out that there are larger concerns within APEC, you know, in, for, in Chile, for example, there mm-hmm. are people that are still below mm-hmm. the absolute poverty line, which means they're basically mm-hmm. starving. So, you know, mm-hmm. when people like me complain that our Starbucks is too expensive or something or rent is a little too high mm-hmm. and it takes a third of our right. income, we really need to, like you said, expectations setting, you know, there are we're doing actually pretty well compared to some of the conditions right. that other people are enduring around the world. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. It's time to reset our expectations, um, which 
leads me to another problem, another question that I wanted to ask you. What's wrong with moving back with your parents? You know, like this is not just at you, but I'm uh, I get the idea, the feeling that back in the U.S., people had real trouble, you know, going back to their parents' house after they've graduated from、mm-hmm. college. You know, after they've turned into an adult,、mm-hmm. and it was it would be a huge thing if they moved back with their、right. parents, which you know it's not much of a thing here in China. I mean, unless you move to somewhere really far away and you can't do that. But let's say if I lost my job and、um, I just it's just a hard time, then I wouldn't really think twice about you know moving back to my parents' house. It it will make everything easier. There are several. You know, I've been, I've. We've talked about this before, but I, I have some more context now. So, firstly,、mm-hmm. yes, I think more Americans are willing to do that, are willing to live with roommates, are willing to live with friends, are willing to live with relatives now. But there is a difference.、Mm. Whereas most Chinese homes tend to own their home outright, you know, this is my home, right? And it can be passed、mm. down, you know, through pro- different processes here in China. Many American retirees, we call them boomers at this point, right? Because they're the new retirees.、Mm. Um, they have reverse mortgages on their home that per, that are actually signed with the bank that have to do with their passing on and the home passing back to the bank. So it's not just a matter of individualism, which we've talked about before, and like wanting、mm-hmm. to be out there on your own. But it's also now if they can move, people can move back in with their parents. But when their parent passes away or their grandparent passes away, that residence、mm-hmm. no longer exists for them. You mean the ownership the stops? The ownership. Pass in many of these re- reverse uh, mortgage uh, that that exists now with the bank passes into the hands of the bank itself instead of instead of yes, the offspring、right? or whoever you Correct, want to、yes. bequeath it to. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought if you own the house, you own the well, house. Most Americans, firstly, don't own their own home, and most even if they have a twenty or a thirty year mortgage, most Americans never make it. Most Americans have a tendency、oh. of refinancing their home periodically, and so even if they're、mm-hmm. adding value to their home when they get older or they run into financial difficulties, because mo- half of U.S. Americans cannot afford a crisis of any kind. So when you're down、mm-hmm. on your luck and you have nowhere else to turn, sometimes you just turn to the bank. You say, "Hey, I've paid off," you know. A third of my home. Can I have some of that、uh, liquidity back, and then we'll make a new deal? And so they make new deals with the bank, which give them money in the short term. But eventually, if they keep doing this throughout their life, and which is a a common practice amongst Americans who are indebted in credit card debt, student、mm-hmm. debt, real estate debt,、uh, all kinds of different debt. By the time a lot、mm-hmm. of Americans pass away, there isn't anything they actually own anymore. What you mean is, if you've actually paid everything off, like you've paid, your parents have finished paying the mortgage, then you actually own your house, and then you can pass it. No, you don't even have to do that. So let's say you're. Let's let me. I think I'm making it more difficult. Let me. Let's say that. Let's say hypothetically, there's a home that's worth half a million dollars, and when Mm -hmm. uh, the person bought the home, it cost. Or let's just say it's worth half a million dollars. They've paid half of it off. Let's make it really ridiculously, unusually simple. So now they Mm -hmm. run into financial difficulty. They need cash, so they go to the bank and Mm -hmm. they say, "Hey, I own half of this half million dollar home." So My half is worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Please loan me hundred thousand、mm. dollars, and I will owe、mm-hmm. you an extra hundred thousand dollars. And these will be the new terms in which I pay it back. So the bank will、mm. do that, but then they do it again ten or twenty years later, and eventually, by the time they pass away, they almost own none of their home. The bank owns it, but this、oh. person has been living off of the cash that they've been borrowing on the. Equity of their home.、And、this is something a lot of Americans do. Whereas in China, the、okay. tendency. 
tendency is to get your family's pay help it off. and pay it off <laughs> when you buy it or pay it off right as away. Soon as yeah, as soon as possible. And then you own right. it and it's yours. That is not the case in America. Well, it is the case with some Americans, but we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, 10% of Americans. Most Americans right. don't do that, are not able to succeed in that way. And they have a tendency mm. of not actually owning their. So when you say, let's move back in with mom or grandma, right? You know, that can be a short term solution. Absolutely. You need to save mm-hmm. up some capital to make a, your own down payment on your own home. But it can't right. be a long term solution where it is for some Chinese families because you move in with grandma, but in 10 years when grandma passes away, there's nowhere to live anymore because that home now belongs mm. to Bank X. Now, I remember this video I uh, saw of a mother. I think she's like in her late 50s, maybe. Her son is uh, early in her early, his early mm-hmm. 20s. And in this video, she was literally crying um, to the camera. And she was saying how, you know, uh, in raising my son, I've always taught him that all you need to do is work mm-hmm. hard. You know, because that's what got her um, through the hard yeah. times. Uh, that's what. Uh, you know, made her life basically. But then she she was crying because she felt like this is no longer a good advice for mm. her son because she said my son graduated from college and he's been working hard. He found a job. He's been working hard and trying to save up money. And he's actually moved back uh, with her because rent was just incredibly yeah. high. Um, I, I don't remember where she lived, but she said her son had to pay um, like twelve hundred dollars mm. a month for uh, maybe just like a small apartment. Mm-hmm. And he ended up not saving anything mm-hmm. after working for years so she was she felt sad because that's what she taught her son to do you know to believe in if you just work hard your life will be fine and now she says just doesn't work anymore and she doesn't really know uh, what exactly is wrong but just things are just not working out and maybe that's how a lot of um american families are uh you know feeling like Mm -hmm. and if they have couple kids that could be you know a pretty hard situation i wanted to ask Um, you because you you unlike me do have and i know you like to say you don't but you do have more knowledge about economics than i do uh uh, well you did work on wall street right to some extent so i wanted to ask you you know if you're looking at the united states (laughs) your knowledge of what's going on is there a way for us to solve that what we call what we Americans call the housing shortage, even though there actually isn't a shortage of homes, there's enough homes for everybody. We call it the housing shortage because not enough people actually live in homes anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, you know, they're not affordable for a lot of people or affording them makes you work, you know, two jobs. But is there a way to make this situation better? What is China doing that America's not doing? I don't we don't really understand how to fix it. Oh gosh, that's a huge question. I don't really have an answer yeah. to that. Could you fix America's uh, problems for it, us, it, baby? If I could, right? I, <laughs> I would be somewhere else, I think. <laughs> but uh, that's a huge problem. And it takes um a really effective government, right, who listens to the troubles of the people, especially mm. the lower income. A section of the society. And that's exactly the problem. I think politics, uh, the government in, in the U.S., from what I've observed, at least in the past few years, they're mm-hmm. not serving in the interest of um, people who really do need help. I mean, as evident from this mm-hmm. article I was reading from uh, Hover.edu, there is an article mm-hmm. that came out in July uh, this year about low mm-hmm. low cost rentals have decreased in every state. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that uh, rents are rising 
the amount of low-cost rentals have also fallen. And so the supply side went down. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just uh, inflation that's the problem. So I'm going to mm -hmm. go into this article a little bit. Sure. It starts by saying... Which you could ju just try to make it understandable for us laymen. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of you. <laughs> it says the <laughs> supply of low-cost rentals fell by 3.9 million units over the last decade. Wow. And the supply of low-cost rentals decreased in every single state, leaving lower... So does that mean they became high-cost high rentals? It's just options they... are... Like, low-cost options are uh, fewer now. So in some cases, they might have just... Trans some people may have just transformed their home into Airbnb or something like that. I'm not too sure. Uh, but let me go into this and see if it explains. Sure, sure, sure. So the supply of low-cost rentals decreased in every single state, leaving lower and middle-income renters with even fewer housing options they can afford. And it's been falling continuously in the past decade due to rent increases in existing units, tenure conversions out of the rental stock. Do you know what that means? Tenure conversions out of the rental stock? Like people are no longer renting, maybe? Yeah, I'm not really and sure. And also... Maybe. Building contaminations and demolitions. Oh, that well, that makes sense. So they're like basically less supply. Yeah. And adjusting for inflation, the number of units with contract rents below 600 fell from 11.9 million to 8 million between 2011 and 2021. And a $600 rent is the maximum amount affordable to households who make about 24000 annually. And the market lost 1.5 million units with rents between 600 and and about 800. Um, and uh, close to 1 million units with rents between 800 to 1,000. So basically, there are less housing options for everything below 1,000 uh, per month. Mm -hmm. And uh, rent increases and high-end new construction have driven up the number of higher cost units. So they are, my reading is they are spending more to build like better apartments, maybe like higher end new construction. Mm -hmm. So the number of units renting for $1,400 or more increased by 7.8 million. So if you have more money. So apartments are becoming more expensive. They're building more more expensive apartments, basically. I did look into this a little bit. There are policies in place in New York City and other cities to force people who have taken their homes, their extra homes, their real estate investments, homes they don't actually live in, mm -hmm. and make it so they can no longer use them for short-term renting of under one month or under three months in, in different neighborhoods. And that is due to uh, Airbnb and similar uh, vehicles. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people want to move to New York for a month mm -hmm. or two weeks. Kind of like a vacation, but not stay in a hotel mm -hmm. so that they can have a, you know, maybe slightly less than a hotel cost, mm -hmm. but then kind of be established in an apartment like situation. Mm. Like a family. So the feel. reason. Mm. Home yeah. Feel. So some of these uh, uh, cities that are suffering from housing shortages, affordable housing shortages mm. are making it so you can't do that, which is then forcing renters mm -hmm. to find actual tenants instead okay. of short-term uh, stays for a week Basically, or a month and so forth. pushing them into the longer, uh, longer period rental markets. 
Right. So people well, they want to essentially house workers, right? You know, mm. if you live in New York and you work in New York, there should be somewhere for you to rent, you know. Mm. And but if you're just in there for an Airbnb, you're just essentially trying to not stay at the Hilton. <laughs> right. Um, so basically, in this article, it says between 2011 and 2021, for 10 years, mm -hmm. 40 states plus the District of Columbia lost at least 20% of units with contract rents below 600. And that, that basically means that people, when you go looking for an apartment, you're going to be up against everyone else trying to get into the same affordable apartment. Right, there's less supply. Yeah. And also 23 states lost at least 30% of units at this rent level and eight states lost at least 40%. That's a huge chunk of supply yeah. for uh, people with only $600 to spend renting mm -hmm. an apartment. Mm -hmm. um, and many of the states with the largest decline in low rent units were previously more affordable places in the South. Um, but that have seen increasing rental demand in recent years, yeah. maybe because remote work. people more have people have been moving to these places. That's, you know, I was going to bring this up. This is something I wanted to talk about, because in the 1980s and 90s, Californians, New Yorkers and, and you know, some other people who lived in high priced states and high priced areas of the United States used to move to small towns after, you know, maybe they were my age, 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. They would sell their home and they would move to like Nebraska or Kentucky, somewhere where it used to be affordable. Mm -hmm. And then they would buy a home there and have enough cash left over to, you know, live a very reasonable life mm -hmm. in a less affordable place. However, there was a change. Eventually, it started to, started to equal where living in Kentucky or Alabama is almost the same cost as living anywhere else, including parts of California and, and New York State. So this is no longer an option. Americans can no longer steal off to the less affordable Cheaper area mm -hmm. because there isn't a less affordable. I mean, unless you're moving to the desert mm. and building your own home off the grid, everywhere is expensive now. So you can't just sell your home in Los Angeles and move to Montana anymore. <laughs> you know, um, interestingly, the few places where they saw a decrease in rent um, included those cities, areas that saw the highest jump in rent in mm. the past two, uh, maybe two years. Mm -hmm. So last year's highest increases were recorded by Redfin in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. which this year saw the biggest rent drops. Really? <laughs> yeah. Austin's so a lovely city, too. The metro areas with the largest rent decreases recorded by Redfin are, for example, in Austin, Texas, a drop of 14.3%, and also Phoenix in Arizona, a drop of 9.6%, and then Las Vegas, a drop of 7.1%, Oklahoma City, a drop of 6.4%, and also Chicago, like so when My, we, let's, we need to translate these numbers into meaningful context. So you're saying that there is less affordable homes in the cities that you're listing. So um, my mm, understanding is the rent in these cities actually went down. Oh, but down. but it's only because they went they had gone up so much. I see. Yeah. The year before. Right. right. Remember a time we were reading in the news how a lot of people are moving around in the country. Right. right. They're like leaving the huge cities and going well, to Texas, especially and... during the pandemic, because people were able to work remotely and it made a lot of sense to live in the countryside instead of like mm. the big city. But then um, in, in another report by Zumpers, uh, which tracks 100 metro areas, the median report, which is like the midpoint rent 
for a one bedroom is lowest in several cities in Kansas and Texas. There's a city called Wichita. The rent, like medium rent for one bedroom is $690. I guess it's affordable. Everyone got that? Kansas is the, we're all meeting in Kansas. I'll see you there. So go, KC. <laughs> if you go search for lowest medium rents in the U.S., I think couple, you know, you'll have a couple choices. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, before uh, it's too late, I want to share some tips, useful tips I found. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Um, for people, this is also, I think it's from a website called Zumper. Z-U-M-P-E-R, mm-hmm. offer some uh, additional strategies for negotiating your rent, which wow. I think might help some of our listeners. Sure. Yeah, let's go for it. So number one is that if you can swing it, say, <laughs> if you have really good negotiation skills, offer to prepay for several months at once. Mm-hmm. So if you've saved, let's say, a couple thousand dollars and you want to save a few hundred off your rent in the coming months, you know, maybe some of the some of the landlords would be relieved not, you know, to, to not have to worry about um, every month. Yeah. Chasing yeah. late rent payments or even, you know, chasing out renters. You right? know, I did this in college, actually. It, what end? Were you renting well, or I, did you chase out? Well, people? I was I was I, my rent was student loans. So I would go and I would get my student loans for the year. And so oh. I would go to my landlord, which where I lived in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I would say, hey, I'll just pay for the whole year if you give me a month off. And oh. they would just be like, yes. OK, and so I, here, here's your money. Yeah. Boom. So if you can pay a few months upfront and your property manager or owner might be willing to offer you like a monthly discount. And another strategy is um, if you can agree to committing to a longer lease right stability mm-hmm. people love stability yeah. especially in today's three world. years instead of one year well this three years is really long you might not even have your job <laughs> in today's market but you know if you're planning on uh being in your loca- location for le- at least a year what? Uh, 18 months or two year maybe you can negotiate for a two-year lease and also another useful tip if you don't have a pet in place that allows pets point that out because Let's say the the apartment that you live in, they it allows pets. Oh, right, but you don't have. You want one. a discount for not having a pet? Exactly, oh, yeah. Because cleaning a unit after a pet owning resident moves out can cost your uh, owner extra time and money. So if you don't have a pet, um, see if you can use that as like you know like a bargaining leverage. Certainly, yeah. yeah. I'm sure a dog or a cat can do a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah, and also um, if you don't own a car. Um, offer to give up a parking spot if that comes with your apartment. Another thing you can do is if your apartment comes with a a parking spot, mm-hmm. don't give it up in the negotiation. Rent it out. Keep it and rent it out. Is that yeah. even people, allowed? A lot of people do that. Oh, uh, oh yeah, it's absolutely allowed. Okay. Yeah. You give the person who is renting your parking spot your decal, which is usually a sticker or a placard, mm-hmm. and they just put it in their car. Who's going to know? <laughs> or like a secret roommate, but I guess that's not allowed, right? You know, that's not allowed, but a lot of Americans do it. Oh, really? And a lot of a lot of Americans actually, you know, another way that they they save on rent is multiple people. People renting the same apartment and all living together. Huh. Okay. Until they're busted by the landlord. <laughs> busted. <laughs> yeah. Or you can rent out your balcony, something like that. You know, if I'm a landlord and like I, I'm trying to rent an apartment out to two people, but and it ends up being four people, as long as I'm getting paid, I don't honestly care that much, I guess. But I think there know? are like, like laws regulating that, right? Like how many people there, can actually live in an apartment? Well, I don't, I think, I don't think there are laws in ter- unless you're violating the fire code, uh-huh. but you know, going from two to four people is probably not enough to break the fire code. And then just behave you, everybody, behave. You have to 
be like 20 people to break the fire code. You know, it would be have to be enough people that if there was a fire, that if you were all rushing out, you wouldn't be able to make it. <laughs> and, and just don't make trouble in general. And yeah. um, so yeah. people don't. Yeah, right. Yeah. Don't play loud music. Okay. Don't do drugs. Don't get drunk. Don't have parties. Yeah. And all also, that stuff. I um, I want to share that while I worked in New York City, I, I, I think I moved like maybe once, maybe two or three times. Um, and the second time I moved into a, uh, like, um, teacher's housing unit in Columbia university. Mm. So I got to know, uh, students from Columbia university and they recommended that, you know, you can rent apartments, um, owned by faculty of the university. And, oh, um, wow. it was so much cheaper than regular rent. Like, hmm. as I said, I pay, I think it was 1300 per month for a tiny room. Like I had a but mattress. that's probably for special people like graduate students because you have a good reputation of being someone. But I wasn't. Who, I was just someone working. You know, I was just an oh, analyst. Okay. And oh. but I got to knew. I, I got to know like students from Columbia, and they recommended. And there's probably like websites you can go on to search for that. So mm. compared to the thirteen hundred that I was paying, the one room that I got. Um, uh, renting a room from a faculty. I think she worked like in the library. Um, I only pay what, 600 or 700. Mm -hmm. So it was like a, a one room apartment actually, but mm -hmm. the owner, she actually bought the apartment and she lives in the living room. So she converted that into her bedroom. Wow, that's and then cool. she rented out uh, the, the bedroom and it was like half the price. And it was uh, a decent location a little further away because, you know, Columbia University is up uh, to the north a little bit. But it, it's, it's OK, right? You, you take the metro and you save a couple hundred dollars a month. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Since we talked about it last, I've been Googling it all the time, YouTubing all the time, and that is the mm. movement to these tiny homes. In huh. some cases, people go and they buy a piece of the a property in the forest or in the desert and they built like their home off the grid. Uh, that's mm. not the case with most people. Most people want to live where there is a job. <laughs> you know, if you're in the middle of the desert, unless right. you can work, work remotely, uh, it's going to be challenging. But a lot mm. of people, and this goes, this is two people we're talking to here, uh, people who own homes who are listening and people who need a place to live. People are taking these small, tiny homes mm. and putting them, building them or buying them. Sometimes that you can buy them ready made and they just drop them off in your backyard. <laughs> in your backyard. In but you have backyard. to have a backyard. Where yeah, do I most find Americans a backyard? Have a backyard. <laughs> most Americans have a backyard. And so a lot of people with backyards, they're essentially putting a little rental in their backyard. And, you know, even this even existed in the 1990s. I remember my friend Josh Garcia lived in Sacramento mm -hmm. and I would go to see him in Sacramento occasionally. And I would have to walk by someone's home through the side. And there was this little tiny home there. And now he, whoever built that was very forward thinking because mm -hmm. now this is a common practice where people are essentially, you, they go online and they find these pre-made homes that sometimes are between 10 and $40,000 and they just drop them in their backyard, hook them up to utilities and mm -hmm. rent them out. And so this is a way you can, you can oh. live in someone's backyard or if you're a homeowner or, or you know, you own your home with the bank, you can mm -hmm. build this and you can make money, passive income, just using your backyard for something other than watching the, the leaves blow by. <laughs> so basically this is if you have a house, but you don't want to live with someone. Right. <laughs> 
house, like inside your house. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that makes a huge difference, actually, because you still feel like your house is entirely, you know, under your own command. You you don't have to worry about running into like some half naked people just out of the shower (laughs) (laughs) or or sharing your kitchen. And you're still lord of the manor, right? You're renting to the the little people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Little people. (laughs) I mean, like, I, I think when you are young, um, like you are just open to a lot more options, yeah. right? Like a 20 some year old renting a tiny home in someone's backyard. It might even be a fun experience um, once they're older, right. right? I mean, it's harder for people who are a bit more aged. Like if I'm in my 50s and I'm living in someone else's backyard, it will be a little hard. Well, to here's take. another one. I'm going to go for another example. And this is Please. something Americans are doing. A lot of boomers own camper vans which have their own internal utilities they just need to be plugged in to the home Mm -hmm. and they actually rent those out or even they rent those out to their own offspring or cousins and things like that (laughs) so now oh you got back from college great you see that thing in the front yard over there? That's yours. <laughs> that piece of uh, rusty junk. It's 350 a month. Move on it. <laughs> okay. Here's something interesting. Like if if it's your family, okay, mm-hmm. well, do you think your your mom and dad would really charge you? No. Like to rent an I've, room, I've talked or? to my mom about it. If there was some reason ever that I needed to move back to California or whatever and, you know, maybe be mm-hmm. a school teacher for a few years or something to get back on my feet because of some crisis that's unanticipatable, she's she mm-hmm. would just probably, you know, ask me to help pay for groceries, you know, because mm-hmm. I'd be consuming some of those. Right. And also, like, just clean up the house a bit, right? Right. Yeah, I sure. Mean, absolutely. If we have to move back with our parents, don't be a child that you once were like 20 years ago well, now mean, you can do laundry you can take all the garbage it, it helps a lot well i mean i did that when i was 10 anyway but i want to i wanted to say <laughs> I, I live here in china and my wife and i who is chinese mm. we own a home here in china mm. and one of the things that we have thought about is that you know when her parents get older they'll probably just move in with us mm. and i'm cool with that you know we've even uh been planning for how would we we would accommodate that mm, and, and nice. so forth which kind of brings us back to china i wanted to talk about something that is similar to what you brought up. So it's funny that we both did a little independent research outside of the research packet. Okay. And, uh, you know, you mentioned these homes in, in Qingdao that are owned by the state right. and are for people on low income. Mm. I just read an article that came out from one of the ministries. I don't have it with me. I was looking for it while we were talking, but I couldn't find it again. Mm. But I read an article that China one of the plans that they're working on right now is to build affordable housing that will be state owned for uh, people below certain income thresholds. Mm-hmm. So this thing that uh, the example that you have found in Qingdao, mm. this is something that's going to be rolled out in major cities around China moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this is an example of what we call socialism with Chinese characteristics. Right, right. The country really cares about making sure that everyone is uh, economic needs are relative equitably met. Mm-hmm. And that's what socialism means, right. including everyone. You know, in America, we have the idea of equality, but that equality only extends to ideas, you know, like in yeah, terms of ideology. Speech and things. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But in China, they have economic <laughs> equality, not totally equal, but equal enough that you don't end up with a million mm. homeless, which America currently mm. has. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that sounds reasonable. And, um, you know, you were asking me how, you know, what the U.S. could do in this regard. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have to have an effective government that is concerned with these matters. Mm 
And I, you know, in the West, people say a lot of things about the Chinese government. But living here, you get to know that the government is very sensitive to people's needs. Like you, you wouldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And um, when people have been complaining so much about like housing, the price of housing, they do something about it. It will take time, right? It will take time. Yeah. I mean, these houses have to be built, right? Policies have to be have to be made um, and p implemented. Um, and also, like, it just reminds me of uh, something else that the government has been doing, which is about aging. Um, it's somewhat related because, you know, older people, they need places to live, too. And not just regular empty apartments, but they need places where people can they can be taken care of. Yeah. So you can see um, the, the government has clear idea of the major problems they're facing. And they are thinking of ways to um, to actually improve the situation and not just talk about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the Chinese government, they don't talk a whole lot, as you probably have noticed in the, all the years you've lived here. They don't give a lot of speeches, right? Um, they get an idea <laughs> of what's happening, what needs yeah. to be done, and they'll just like you know start making policies and implementing them. And a uh, housing problem in the past few years, one of the things we've heard a lot is mm -hmm. housings are for living, not for speculation. And they are putting this into practice. Right. And of course, because yes. of uh, ac economic situations, um, prices for uh, certain parts of housing have been uh, dropping a little bit too. Mm -hmm. And then uh, together with more av availability, availability of public housing, I think uh, things will be better in this regard. I mean, like my coworkers, I remember, I mean, they are not really poor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Their salaries, they're not high. Mm -hmm. But they're OK. So if they can apply for public housing, I think this could mean that it's quite uh, available, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of people. You don't have to be dirt poor, right. you know, to to apply for them. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. If I could, I want to make the point for my American brothers and sisters, because I'm, you know, as someone living in China, I feel like we can learn from the examples of other nations, not just China, but any, you know, any good idea around the world, we should all be stealing each other's good ideas. Mm. And this is something that America is not good at, making sure that everyone has homes. And so this idea of the government taking some of, you know, the revenue that they have, where, wherever it comes from, taxes or whatever, and building some affordable homes where people, you know, obviously, you know, if you're trying to build it in a rich neighborhood in America, you're going to get a lot of pushback. But there are places around the states mm -hmm. in different states. Maybe this could be something a city does. This could be something a state does. This could be done on the federal level, whatever it takes, mm -hmm. where we could build affordable housing blocks somewhere in the United States. And then anyone who makes below a certain amount could have, you know, ready access to that home right. that is very set at a ridiculously affordable price. I think this is something we need to do because with a million homeless in the United States, it is a severe humanitarian crisis. But the thing is, in the U.S., in a, like a capitalist state, the first question people will ask is, how will this be profitable? You know, how can right. how can yeah, we? That's, a, that's what I'm saying. We need to, you know, we have, you know, America has some socialism. You know, we have some things that are a little bit socialist because it makes sense to do it that way. Right. This, I know that housing is supposed to be totally private. We need to learn that 
you know, we're looking at people who are on the streets living in tents in terrible conditions. They're mm. freezing cold in the winter. Mm. This is not, this is a humanitarian crisis. This is a serious crisis. You know, this is the population of major cities around the country, but it's just spread out everywhere. And also, we need to give homes to houseless Americans. And also, I'm just thinking, um, you know, in China, back in the days, um, like a couple decades ago, uh, let's say when my mom worked in the university, we had like public housing. By public housing, it, it meant that the houses were, I think they were owned by the university, but we could live them literally for free. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, later on, uh, there are cases where, you know, some workplaces, they would, they would take the money out to build, let's say, a, an apartment building. Mm -hmm. And then these apartment buildings are only for employees who work at that workplace. Mm -hmm. Let's say, let's say Google decides to build like, you know, a couple apartments, a housing, yeah, campus. housing campus, apartment buildings for its employees. And it will be uh, much cheaper than if they rent um, out from just a regular market. And mm -hmm. so, but these buildings are associated. Google with, could keep them very close. Yeah, it could be, it could still be <laughs> their uh, own property. But back in the days, uh, what I meant was the employees actually owned these apartments. Yeah. You know, they, you don't, they don't take them back. Um, and also I was thinking, is it possible for some of these workplaces like big companies mm. to rent in bulk mm -hmm. as in they can negotiate with a certain building, let's say in New York City yeah. and say, we are going to provide stable renters, like a hundred of them or more, all are our employees for the next uh, five years. It's a great business idea, baby. I think you could make a fortune if you went and pitched that correctly. To the right I don't people. know if that will work, but like renting in bulk, right? So I think you could be a wealthy CEO with that idea if you get the right investors. Well, yeah, that, I, I hope it's uh, it's possible. People could give it a try. I don't know if it's, you know, it'll be complicated legally. Someone's got to steal that idea. It's very, that is a very good and idea. Maybe, and maybe people are, um, you know, in the States, they don't want to see their coworkers after work. <laughs> it's like your coworker is the last person <laughs> Person I want to see besides my mom or dad. Yeah, well. <laughs> but as we said earlier, right, it's, we need to adjust our expectations and maybe yeah. uh, smooth our edges a little bit more and uh, to accommodate the harder times. You know, we have a little bit of time left. I just wanted to talk about Chinese real estate prices really quickly because I have my own uh, <laughs> kind of feeling. I'm talking to experts all the time, but um, a lot of them say that mm -hmm. the real estate market in China is mm -hmm. going to improve over the next two to three or four years. I actually think it's going to be a lot sooner. And the reason I say that is the IMF at the beginning of this year said that China's GDP was going to grow by 5.2%. Mm. And then there was naysaying by all these uh, major uh, economists and economic outlets like Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal all the way into, until about a month ago. Mm. And now the tide is turned where they're like, uh-oh, China's been doing well this whole time. We were wrong. Mm. And like that's the new uh, zeitgeist coming out of the US. Essentially, IMF has upgraded about one month, three weeks ago, mm. the uh, GDP outlook from 5.2% to 5.4%. Mm. So instead of thinking China was going to grow uh, at 5.2%, which is good, which is fantastic, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's going to grow even faster than predicted. So I think consumer confidence is going to rise. Right. And I, the, I think that so means too. that mm. real estate's going to probably start to edge up mm. pretty soon. And people need places to live, right? Yeah, that's true. And yeah. if the government um, realize, really make an effort um, to to make sure that all people have a decent place to live, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, get their acts together and do something about it. I'm sure they will. It's not it's not hopeless. Yeah. yeah.
So it's not all for profit. Sometimes you just, you know, you have to help people to be able to afford a decent life. Listeners, if you want to be part of this conversation, you agree, you disagree, you want to add your two cents, do so. Please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com and we probably read your comments on the air. We'll love to hear from you. Yes. Thank you. And thank you, Jason. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.